amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. For the next two hours, we're going to be talking sports and having fun doing it. I want all your ideas, all your opinions, and all your beliefs. And of course, as always, you'll get a heavy dose of my opinion. You have an opinion number to call 646 727 3070. That's 646 727 3070. You can listen to the show at pcan. Send messages to the show on Twitter at go4can. And while you're there at Go For It Gang, give me a follow, G-O-F-O-R-I-T-G-A-N-T. And also hit us up on the website, goforitgantsports.com. Great show lined up for you today. Expect it to be joined by some of the stars, a couple of the stars of the Combine out there in Indianapolis, Temple's Hassan Reddick, and also Villanova's Tano Passanio. We've heard a lot about these two guys. These two guys really went out there, and they did their thing at the combine. And now their name is being uh, thrown around. And, you know, now their name is moving up in the draft. So we're going to talk to those guys. Also, Marlon Briscoe will be joining us, the first starting African-American quarterback in modern football history. He's going to talk about his journey and an upcoming movie about his life. So it's going to be a pleasure talking to him. And also, former Oklahoma corner Dakota Austin will be joining us to talk about his pro day and what's next for him. So we got a great show lined up. We got a short time to get there. So let's go on and get there. So as we go throughout these this, this two hours, obviously we got to talk about NFL free agency. That's hot and heavy. Talk a little NBA as well. We, we, we got to get to that. We got to talk about, you know, Westbrook, Harden, LeBron James, the whole MVP talk. I mean, Mark Cuban came out uh, this week, last week, I should say, and, and said that Russell Westbrook is not an MVP candidate. Crazy, absolutely crazy. I'm going to get there in a moment. So we got a lot to talk to talk about. So we're going to get there. Let's NFL free agency. I mean, can we call it NFL free agency now? the new March Madness, because, you know, it is championship week right now, but I feel like championship week is being overshadowed by what's going on in the National Football League. What's going on with NFL free agency? Because NFL free agency goes fast, it goes quick, and it goes in a hurry. And then after that, kind of dies down. So you get like two, three days of it, 
And then after that, it's okay. It's all the big names are usually gone. And then after that, we stop talking about it. You know, you get lesser signings along the way. And again, it kind of goes out of our mind and we move forward. And then we start focusing on the draft. But I almost feel like NFL free agency has trumped championship week on some level. I, I really do. Let's let's start talking about some of these deals. Obviously, the big move, the biggest move probably has not happened, and that is the situation going on with Tony Romo. Some reports where the Cowboys were looking to release him. Then the reports turned to the Cowboys were looking to trade him. So at this point, we don't really know what's going to happen with Tony Romo, whether he's going to get traded, whether he's going to get released. We don't know what the Cowboys are going to do with him at this point in time. But I know one thing. At the end of the day, and some people, some people believe that, you know what, Tony Romo might even retire. But I don't think he is. I think he's going to play. He'll be 37 by the time the season starts. He'll be 37 years old. The key for Tony Romo is health and whether or not he can be healthy. The reason Tony Romo hasn't had success is not ability, but availability. That's been the problem. His lack of availability. He has not been available over the past few seasons. And because of it, I mean, first and foremost, that's one of the reasons that he's looking for a new job because in reality, he lost the job to Prescott because of injury, and then Prescott just wouldn't let him take it back by balling out. But the last full season, 15 games he played in 2014, Tony Romo, 3,700 yards, 3,705, 34 touchdowns, only nine interceptions. So it was a big-time year the last time he played pretty much a full season, 15 games, not a full season, obviously 16 games, but the last time he played significant a significant amount. And when he played a significant amount, the numbers tell you that he can get it done. So I believe a healthy Tony Romo can still possibly get it done. And to me, the best situation for Tony Romo is in Houston with the Texans. A, he doesn't have to leave Texas. So that's a good thing. B, you got a team that defensively played big-time football, was number one in the league. Clowney was big-time. You know, J.J. Watt is coming back. So, you know, they got a lot of key pieces on that defense. That defense was big-time. And then lastly, you look at the Houston Texans. Hold on, let me add one more thing before I go to lastly. You have DeAndre Hopkins, who's the number one wide receiver. You know, that's big time. And then lastly, you're playing in the AFC South. So your chances of winning the AFC South are, are very good. The reality is the AFC South is not a very good division, has not been a very good division over the years. And the Texans have found a way to win that division with Brock Osweiler and Brian Hoyer as their starting quarterbacks. So that, that tells you something. That, that tells you some things. And so the other team that's been thrown out there, the Denver Broncos, to me, I don't know if that's good. I mean, don't get me wrong. 
Devers big time defensively. I, I, I think Devers a not a bad situation. But I look at divi that division, and the Oakland Raiders are a team that's on a come up. I think Kansas City's still going to be there some way, shape, or form. And San Diego wasn't all that bad last year, record-wise they were, but they were in a lot of games and played a lot of teams tough. So that division, the AFC West, may be one of the best divisions in football last season. So you look at that, and you look at all those factors, to me, the best spot for Tony Romo is in Houston. If he plans on playing and plans on continuing on, Houston is the spot for him. And Houston is clearing cap space. You know, they got rid of Brock Osweiler, traded him off to, to the Browns. And that was an NBA-style deal. That was a salary dump for both teams on some level. And, and more so, you know, for the Texans. But the Browns, they had the salary cap to absorb that type of deal. And now you look at the Browns and reports are they may be trying to trade Osweiler or even try to release him. So Houston obviously is in the market for a quarterback. And you knew that Houston kind of soured on Brock Osweiler because, hey, he was replaced by Tom Savage. And the only reason he got his job back is because Tom Savage got hurt. And then, you know, to his credit, Osweiler didn't win a playoff game. Very fortunate that Derek Carr wasn't there, but he won a playoff game nonetheless. So I think Tony Romo, to me, your best situation is staying in state and going to Houston. We don't know how that's going to be accomplished. Is that going to be accomplished via trade? Is that going to be accomplished via a release? You know, you know, free agency after you're released? Uh, we don't know how it's going to go. But to me, that is the big story at this point in time. That's the biggest story, I believe, in free agency. What's going to happen to Tony Romo? And what and where, where will Tony Romo go? That is going to be huge. That's going to be big. I can't wait to see how it plays out. Also, Redskins have been talked about, you know, that, that talked about three-team deal. The 49ers, Redskins, Cousins going to the 49ers, Picks going to the Cowboys, and Romo going to the Redskins. Now, that's been talked about as well. So we'll see where this whole situation goes. We'll see how this whole situation works out. But I know one thing, it's going to be very interesting. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Dakota Austin, former Oklahoma corner, as he prepared for the upcoming NFL draft. The NFL draft is around the corner in April out there in the beautiful city of Philadelphia. You're listening to Go For It. Hello and welcome to Go For It, Donald Faison. Your Knicks have the best chance out east, though. I will say that. The Knicks have the best chance in the Eastern Conference to beat the Miami Heat. And the Knicks have had some success against the Miami Heat in the regular season, but... That doesn't see anything in the playoffs time. When the playoffs come, it doesn't mean anything. Uh, I, was trying to throw hey, you, you know I was trying to throw you a bone, man. I was trying to get nah. your, your hopes up. Come on, man. I'm a realist, <laughs> too, man. <laughs> Actor Robbie Jones. Well, we know that, you know, we know that you can tempt married women. We've seen you, you, you have a pedigree. 
We see what you can do. We seen it. I would never bring my wife around to. I just don't know what you're capable of. Come on now. Come on now. That's all right. That's that rock. That's called butter. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much. You're very, very good at your job. Thank you, sir. Make it fun. You really do. (laughs) We're back. Go for it. Talking sports. Having fun doing it. We're going to bring in a guy now. He had his pro day uh, this week out there in Oklahoma. Former corner for Oklahoma, Dakota, Dakota Austin. The NFL draft, as we said, is close. So a lot of guys are trying to position themselves, you know, so they can get drafted and so they can be put in a good situation. Let's bring him in now. Corner, former corner for Oklahoma, Dakota Austin. Dakota. Hey, how you doing? How are you? Hey, I'm here. I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for joining us. And you had your pro day out there in Oklahoma. Your numbers may not have fell the way you wanted them to fall, but talk about your pro day performance. Uh, yeah, you know, in the, uh, in the beginning, I was couldn't stop cramping. You know, that affected that affected a lot of my drills early. But the drills towards the end, I felt like they got to see, you know, a glimpse of what I really had to show. So, you know, hopefully, hopefully, it did what it should. So, you know, you, you talked about the cramping. And, and how much did the cramping affect your 40 time? Oh, major, because I had just ran a 4-5, like, two days before. And I couldn't, they couldn't, like, I, like, I couldn't skip the order, I guess, in the 40s, end up going 4-8. So, I guess a, a team will come along and see. I can run another 40 and it won't be anything close to that. So, after you ran that 40 at 4-8, obvious disappointment for you. What was going through your mind? I shouldn't have ran it at all. I shouldn't have even ran it. Like I should have just waited and stretched some more. So you felt like, man, you you probably should have just fell back and, and then tried to run it another day. Yeah. It's like I just feel like I gave him the wrong impression. But during drills, I guess you could see a lot more of my speed and quickness. So I, I, I know they knew something was up. So the lowest forty time you ran was was about a four five. Yeah, four five four. Okay, all right. We're talking to former Oklahoma corner Dakota Austin. So, what's next for you now? Obviously, you know you you, you said you did some good, good things during the pro day. You said you did some bad things. So, what's next for you? Uh, just waiting for teams to uh, you know, just hit my line. Just continuing to work out and just, you know, just keep it in God's hands. That's all I can do from here. So I'm just staying in shape. So how do you stay positive? I mean, go ahead. I mean, it's uh, thinking positive. I mean, I'm always think positive because you you just going to make bad stuff happen. You're already thinking bad. I mean, so you know, I just always try to keep a positive mindset and, and, it, and it's got me pretty far. So, so in talking about you, you know, they talk about your size, you know, 5'10", about 170 pounds. How do you answer that question about your size? Uh, I mean, I, I put a, I put a, I put something on film to where you can see, like, how physical I am, like, and, and, and I always get tested because of my size, and I always prevail, like, okay, like, 
he he's just another one of the guys. Like he he can do anything that the other guys can do. So, but being at this size and playing in the league I played in, I just feel like I was always going to get tested, and that allowed me to make a lot of plays. So you feel like on some level, you know, based on your tape, you've answered that question. Yeah, for sure. So, at least to an extent. Okay. All right. So we're talking to former Oklahoma corner Dakota Austin. So looking at you now, end of the day, what kind of what, what do you bring to the table? Oh man. Electric player, quick, instinctive. I'm just a go-getter, so I can just bring a whole new life, a breath of new fresh air to the team, man. I, I bring a lot of life out there at the corner, so, you know, I, I just feel like I bring a lot of quickness to the game out there playing with that. So, growing up, who was your favorite NFL team? The Cowboys. I'm from the Dallas. Cowboys. Okay, all right. So, that makes sense. That makes sense. And, and that's the way it should be. I mean, I, I remember having this conversation yeah. with somebody. You're from Dallas. I bandwagon like Dallas. fans, like you can't be from Dallas and like you are, you a Ravens no. fan, or you from Dallas and like now you a Patriots fan, like no. Yeah, so <laughs> hometown. I, I totally agree. I mean, I'm from the Philadelphia area, and I'm a Eagles fan, and that's just the way it should be. So you know, I respect you on that. <laughs> so let me ask you this: What would it mean to you? to get an opportunity with the Dallas Cowboys? Man, to get an opportunity with any team would mean the world, but the Dallas Cowboys, that's just icing on the cake. You can't ask for more than that. So, for sure. yeah, that would be more than amazing. I don't even know. America's team, and and plus that is your favorite team. So that, that's got to yeah. be good for you. I, I want to ask you this. You know, we saw – we saw Joe Mixon run his 40, and, you know, we know some of the incidents that happened with him. And, you know, some people are, are saying that's not the true and the real Joe Mixon. Who, to you, yeah. is the real, the true Joe Mixon? See, man, and I hate, I hate that happened for him because if you get to know him, he's a person who has to come out of his shell to even start talking, but – you get him to talk and open up, and hey, he's a great guy. He has good intentions with everything. It's just with that instance, it's just wrong, wrong place, wrong time. And, you know, he's a great person. Whoever takes the time to get to talk to him or even have a conversation, you'll see that. He, he's not the person that people portray him to be. For sure. And and hopefully, to me personally, I thought it was kind of unfair that he wasn't invited to the combine. I know why it was done, but to me it's a little yeah. unfair because I feel like, you know what, People do make mistakes. People do do things that are wrong at times. But at the end of the day, we are all human, and we all deserve that second chance. And hopefully when he gets his second chance, because I think he's going to get that chance, hopefully people will realize and recognize, you know, the type of guy he truly is. And hopefully he can demonstrate the type of guy he truly is to the world. So for you now, you know, you talked about being a Cowboys fan. We want to get to know you a little more. Before a big game, what music do you put on? Oh, see? Ah, man. See, when I first came to college, I had to get all extremely hype, extremely turned. I listen to, uh, I listen to like, some Future or some Migos. 
But now I can just be cool, like just go over the go over the schemes, go over personnel with the other team. So I'm I'm probably listening to J. Cole or something cool before the game now. Okay. So something to kind of mellow you out a little bit? Yeah, because now the hype is already being brought. Like that's when the game was just moving very fast to me at a young age, like freshman year. Now that the game slowed down, I just feel like I got more time to think and I'm already play fast, so for sure, for sure. We're talking to former Oklahoma corner, Dakota Austin. And so now, obviously, like we talked about, the, the, the 40 time didn't go the way you wanted it go, to go. But at the end of the day, you did say that you can run a 4-5-40. So let me ask you this. What are you hearing now? I mean, before the combine, the talk was that you may go uh, the free agency route. You may go undrafted. So what are you hearing yeah. now in terms of the NFL draft and what might happen for you? Uh, I mean, I'm really not even expecting to get drafted like that. If I get drafted, I get drafted. I'm not I'm not living and dying off of that. I just wanna I just wanna get picked up at the end of the day. If I get a chance to go to a camp and compete, that's all I can ask for. Okay. And, and you feel like eyebrows. I'm sorry, you can repeat that. I cut you I'll off. definitely raise eyebrows being invited okay. to a camp. So, yeah, that's all I need. So you feel like once you get that camp invite, once you get an opportunity, you're going to show and prove what type of player you are? Oh, for sure. Because I'm going to walk in as one of the quickest guys. And, and with the technique I have and the instincts, that I know some players will be made. Okay. All right. So we look at things with you now and, and just look out – what might happen moving forward, hypothetically speaking. I'm not saying this is going to happen, but if things don't work out with the NFL, are you willing to go to Canada or, you know, anywhere else? Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, I'm always about just getting my game better. Whatever I can do to just keep getting better. If if the NFL wasn't in my future, it wasn't in it. But, I, you know, that's something I definitely want. So, you know. But, yeah, if I have to go that route and then go there to get to where I want to be, then, yeah. I mean, I – I'm just a football player, and wherever I can go, I can go. Okay. All right. So you said that ultimately you're waiting for that phone call, you know, to get yourself another opportunity. Are you confident that you'll get that call to show what you can do 40-wise and so on and so forth? Uh, I mean, that's up to my agents, you know, okay. just, just staying in contact with people. So that's something that's out of my hands. All right. All I feel right. good, though. I feel good about the job they're doing. Okay. Fair enough. So I, I'm looking at your picture, man, and I'm looking at your dreadlocks. You know, a guy like me, bald, lost my hair. I'm getting a little <laughs> jealous looking at your hair. How long do you grow them? When do you stop? Does it stop? Uh man, I get this question so much. Like, I don't want to cut my hair. Like, I'll probably let it get, like, to the middle of my back before I start trimming it. I don't just want it, like, you know, down my waist. But, yeah, I don't see my I don't see myself cutting my hair anytime soon. So is that kind of like your strength? <laughs> uh, I just feel like my hair is a part of, you know, just who I am. And even on the football field. I'll be losing a part of me if I cut my hair, so. Okay. All right. <laughs> so how long have you been growing it? Uh, since senior year, high school, so about four years. 
Oh, wow. That's a long time. That's a long, long time. I, I would tell you, man, coming from a bald man who lost his hair at, at you know, around the age of 28, 27, grow it, <laughs> enjoy it, love it, play with it, do whatever you got to do with your hair. Enjoy it, man. Because at some point it's going to go, possibly. You Hello? see that? I said, I said, coming from a bald man, I would tell you to enjoy your hair, love your hair, man, because at some point it might go. Man, that'll suck. <laughs> that'll really suck. <laughs> My hair is too skinny to not have her on it. <laughs> I have to make some shakes and start wearing hats all the time or something. Well, they got some technology out here, so you know, I mean, you could do yeah, some things. I might, yeah, I might. Yeah. <laughs> we're I talking. To, we're talking to former Oklahoma corner uh, Dakota Austin. So, so let's look at it this way. Now, I'm a hypothetically speaking. I'm a coach. I'm a general manager. I'm a scout. I'm coming to you, and I'm asking you straight up, why should I give Dakota Austin a chance? How do you answer that? Uh, you know, well, firstly, I'm going to definitely give whoever you put in front of me some stress out there at corner. And I can pick up plays very fast, and I can make plays, you know, on any given play. So I just feel like. You just get a chance to see me play with with any of your guys, and you you'll get the answer first. Sounds good. So fans, fans, make sure you support this man's journey. Hit him up on Twitter at simply underscore shutdown. Also on Instagram at d austin ten. Hit him up on Snapchat at d underscore austin twenty seven, and support all the great things going on with former corner of Oklahoma, Dakota Austin. Dakota, absolute pleasure talking to you, man. Wish you nothing but the best of luck moving forward. Would love to do it again. I'm rooting for you. Get it done. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. All right, you too. Former Oklahoma corner, Dakota Austin, as he journeys on, and prepares for the upcoming NFL draft. So I asked him about Joe Mixon, and Joe Mixon did run a 4.4340, which is good for him. And I felt like, you know, again, I don't know Joe Mixon. I don't know him. But I feel like at the end of the day, we are entitled to second, sometimes third chances in life because none of us are perfect. We all come with problems, issues, flaws. You know, we all come with those things. So at the end of the day, you know, we're going to have some hiccups. At the end of the day, we're going to have some mess ups. At the end of the day, we're going to do things wrong. Now, some things that we do wrong are, you know, take a little more time for people to forgive than others. That's a part of life. Now, Joe Mixon does have to take the heat for what happened. That's just no doubt about it. He has no choice. But he should not have to take the heat for the rest of his life. He should not have to take the heat forever. At some point, we got to say, you know what? 
He messed up. He's trying to become a better person. Allow him to do that. Allow him to walk out his second chance. And you can say, you know what? It's a lot easier for you to talk and say because that wasn't your daughter. You could be right. But at the same time, at the same time, even if it was my daughter, I have to realize that people are afforded second chances, hate it, love it, or what have you. But I just hope that Joe Mixon can walk out his second chance, do what he needs to do to be highly successful in life, in the NFL, and beyond. So we'll see what happens. We'll, we'll see if he can do those things, and, and hopefully for him, he can do it. Let's go on now. And Mark Cuban. Mark, Mark Cuban now came out, I believe it was Sunday, talking about uh, Russell Westbrook is not an MVP candidate. Russell Westbrook, the same Russell Westbrook who is messing around and averaging a triple-double, according to Mark Cuban, is not a MVP candidate. And we know Russell Westbrook and Cuban have had their issues over the years. We know Russell Westbrook and Cuban have been going at each other over the years. But to say that Russell Westbrook, a man who was averaging a triple-double, a man who was doing something that has not been done at this point of the season, since 1961-62 NBA season. That's a long time. A long time. What? What is that? Is that? That's what? 55 years. A long time. And you mean to tell me. And, and, and let me let me be clear about something. And, and let me tell you how I feel about the whole Russell Westbrook thing. And, and, you know, why I believe he's the MVP. First and foremost, he's doing something that has not been done in 55 years. That's first off. Second, his team, the Thunder, are, and this is just my criteria for Russell Westbrook. For me, if he, if he messes around and averages a triple-double for the season, if he does that, okay, second, that's number one, keep that triple-double thing going. If his team, in my opinion, is at least one game, one game over 500, he is the MVP. That, that, that's it. If, if, if all those things are together and right, he is the MVP. I don't think we can argue that. Now, you can talk about James Harden. Yeah, James Harden's had a big-time year. James Harden has gotten it done throughout the course of this year. James Harden is one of the reasons the Houston Rockets are 23 games over 500. James Harden's one of the reasons that the Houston Rockets are third in the Western Conference. That's James Harden. And don't get me wrong. 29 points per game. Oh, by the way, 11 assists and close to eight rebounds a game is getting it done. And he's getting it done. No, no doubt about it. And no argument there. 
I can't tell you that he's not getting it done because he is getting it done. Kawhi Leonard out there in San Antonio, he's getting it done. He's making things happen. He's putting up big-time numbers. You know, he's the best player on that team. That's his team at that at this point. And he's putting up 26 points per game. You know, he's putting up big-time numbers. Six boards. Three assists a game. He's putting up big-time numbers. And again, he's one of the reasons that the Spurs are second in the Western Conference at 50 and 11. LeBron James, another MVP, MVP's candidate, excuse me. And according to Mark Cuban, it's between LeBron and Harden. But LeBron James, he's one of the reasons that the Cavaliers are 21 games over 500. He's one of the reasons that the Cavaliers have the best record in the Eastern Conference. He is. He's playing some big time minutes, a lot of minutes. And putting up big-time numbers. Still playing at a high level. No LeBron. Obviously, the Cavaliers are not the team to beat in the Eastern Conference. That's very obvious. That's very evident. But at 37 minutes a game, putting up 26 points, 8 rebounds, 8 assists. Again, he's putting up big numbers. He's getting it done. He's doing big-time things. For sure. But I look at LeBron James. I look at what he did and the numbers that he's putting up. They're big time. Harden's big time. Kawhi Leonard's big time. But it's not a triple-double. This guy's averaging a triple-double. That's rarefied air. That's not something you see every day. Oh, by the way, he's leading the league in scoring. Again, that's not something you see every day. A triple-double, 30 points per game. You don't see that every day. And no one has averaged a triple-double in 55 years. So to me, with all that being said, this dude, Russell Westbrook, again, if he finishes the season averaging a triple-double, he's got to average a triple-double. No 9.9, no 9.8, not 9.7. It's got to be 10, 10, and obviously at this point he's at 30. But he's got to average a triple-double, in my opinion, in order for me to say Russell Westbrook is the MVP. Because the reality is, the MVP usually goes to the best player on the best team. And last year, Steph Curry was the best player on the best team. And that's one of the reasons he won MVP. He was the best player on the best team. And then two years before that, or the year before, well, two years ago, when his team, the Golden State Warriors, won the championship, you could have made an argument that James Harden had a better year. But you know what? Steph Curry was on the Warriors, again, a team that, you know, had one of the best records in basketball 
and he was the best player on that particular team. So I, that's why, that's why, you know, Westbrook has to average a triple double in order for me to give him that MVP hardware. We shall see. Free agency is hot and heavy in the NFL, but also the NFL draft is upon us. And, you know, last week in Indy, a lot of guys made names for themselves. Obviously, Miles Garrett, you know, a guy who's probably going to be the number one pick. He just made, you know, let you know that he's a beast, that he's big time. But this man, a man we're about to bring in now, Hassan Reddick, a Temple grad, like myself, a Temple guy. You know, this guy, he was big time at the Combine. He put up some big time Combine numbers, and a lot of people are talking, and a lot of people have his name in their mouths, and that's a good thing for him. We're going to bring him in. Hassan Reddick. Hassan, how are you? How are you, man? I'm good. I'm good. How about you? Doing well. Thanks for joining us. No problem, man. Thank you for having me on. Now, man, you crushed the combine, as you said. You know, you, you did your uh-huh. thing. 4.5240, big-time broad jump. Did you expect to have those type of numbers? Did you expect to crush the combine? Oh, man. Uh, uh, of course I expected to crush the combine, you know. Uh, for the last two months, uh, preparing for the combine, I, it was nothing but hard work. Uh, every day, giving it all I had, so that way I can be prepared for the combine. So, you know, I, I, I was ready to go. I, I knew I was prepared. Uh, therefore, my confidence was there, you know, and I knew that I was going to show everybody the best of me. So, was there any type, did you feel the pressure? Was there any type of pressure on you? No, no pressure at all. Like I said, I, I was prepared. When you prepare, how could there be pressure, you know? When you prepare, how could you be uh, uh, nervous, you know? How, it, people who... Uh, aren't prepared to people who go into things that where they're, you know, nervous or they, they, they don't have the confidence, you know. I, like I said, I prepared for the two months and I was ready to go. So, like we said, you ran a 4.5240. But what was your lowest time during your practice runs? Oh, man. During practice? During practice, my, my time was a little bit higher just because uh, – we did a lot of lifting to, 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 to get the uh, legs stronger for more explosion, you know. Um, our, our, the goal was to, to push hard for about two weeks before uh, combine. And then once combine got closer, you know, start letting the, the legs uh, rest so they be, uh, become fresher. Um, and then go in the combine and crush it the way I did. So you expected to be in that 4-5 range. I wanted, you know, I wanted something a little bit better, but hey, you know, I, I ran at what, what I think is a, you know, a great time for, especially for the position that I'm going to play. So, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. So, obviously, the combine, a lot of different players there, a lot of different scouts, a lot of different GMs, coaches. It, it seems like the whole league is there in Indy. How would you describe the environment? Uh. I would say the, the environment is more is, 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 is more serious than anything. You um, it's, it's, it's a serious environment. I mean, there's some friendly talking going around, you know, uh, a little bit of laughing and joking, but everybody understands that this is uh, the biggest interview of their life, you know. Um, 
especially you get interviewed to, to play a sport that you've been playing for who knows how long, you know, and something that you love to do. So you, you go on there, you try to stay focused as, as, as best as you can and, and try to crush all the interviews, you know, and crush the, and, and, and crush testing. We're talking to former Temple University defensive end linebacker Hassan Reddick. So you talked about the inter- interview process. Did that process go the way you expected it to go? Was it different? How would you describe that process? Uh, the, the process, the interview process, you know, it, 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 it's a long process, man. Uh, you talk to a lot of teams, you get asked a lot of different questions. Uh, but I, I did expect to, you know, I believed all the interviews that I had went well, and and, and that's what I expected. Uh, just like. I was preparing for, you know, the physical stuff to do the testing. Um, I also prepared for the interviews, you know, uh, to make sure that when I went, went into the interviews, I was uh, at my best. So uh, let me ask you this now. I mean, did you get any crazy questions? Like, what was the craziest question you got? I was, the craziest question I had was probably uh, uh I was timed on how long I could keep my eyes open without blinking. I think that was the craziest <laughs> thing I had. This, this right, this is crazy. And I, in my head, I'm like, you know, what does this have to do with football? But it was basically about fighting, uh, fighting okay. the conscious of, you know, uh, discipline and, and, and uh, things of that sort of nature. So, but that was yeah. It, I, I felt like that was the craziest thing. I never had somebody time me on how uh, how long I could keep my eyes open without blinking. How long did you keep them open? Uh, the, the longest I got was like 37 seconds. That's pretty long. That's pretty I, long. I was told, yeah, and I was told the record was 21 minutes. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm on your Twitter page. Senior season, check. Senior bowl, check. NFL mm-hmm. combine, check. You mm-hmm. had the pro day the other day out there at Temple University. Obviously, you did your thing at the combine. But what were you looking to prove at your pro day? Uh, pro day for me was just basically showing the scouts uh, what they hadn't seen or what, what they didn't see on tape. And that was basically the way I move in space, um, you know, more so my dropping from a, a off-ball perspective. That, that was basically it. You know, I didn't do like the 40 over or anything like that. I felt good with that. I had a, a really strong time with that. So I basically just did the position drills to show them, you know, that I, I am every bit of the athlete, athlete that they say I am. So after the combine now, there's been a lot of talk about you and a lot of talk about you possibly going into the first round. I saw some mocks that had you as high as nine. But what are you hearing? Uh, you know, uh, I, I, only thing that I, I mean, I see the mock draft. And, and things of that sort. I, I try to keep you know, a, you know, a blind eye to it and not pay attention to it just because I'm, I'm still working and I don't, you know, uh, I don't want it to be a distraction to me or thinking about, oh, man, this is where I'm going to go or anything like that. Um, but uh, as far as I heard uh, was first-round projection, you know, uh, some people say uh, I'm a definite first-round lock. Some people say uh, uh, mid to late first but you never know what could happen. You never know what a team thinks, you know, truly thinks or what they need. So uh, I do my best to not pay attention to it. We're talking to former Temple University DN linebacker Hassan Reddick. You were a pass rusher at Temple, but during the senior bowl, you were doing your thing as a linebacker, going through the linebacker drills and things of that nature. Do you think on the next level, 
the position for you is inside linebacker? Uh, so I talk to a lot of teams. Uh, some teams like me at outside linebacker, you know, continue to get, get, get some teams want me to continue to do my thing as a pass rusher. Uh, some teams like me at inside linebacker, and I'm a, and I'm I'm perfect. I know that I, you know, I'm going to conquer that position and I'm going to be the best at it. Uh, and also some teams like me at both. They're willing to let me play both positions. Uh, inside back on first and second down, pass rush on. Uh, I mean, yeah, pass rush on third. So. That's the, those are the things. That, that's the uh, you know the reception that I got from the teams that I talked to. Do you prefer? What do you prefer? Uh, I, I don't have a preference, but I will say that outside linebacker is uh, what's most natural, just because of playing rushing and uh, at simple for three for three years. So uh, outside linebacker is, is most natural. But like I said, you know, if I'm not inside backer, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be the best at that position. Has there been any thought of you possibly bulking up and being a four-three defensive end? No, 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 no. I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm too light for that. You know, uh, okay. That would be another 20, 20, maybe twenty-five pounds I would have to put on to play a defensive end, a true defensive end. Okay. So, so let me ask you this now: You were a walk-on. I mean, back in twenty twelve, you walked on to Temple University football. At that time. Did you ever think the NFL was possible? Uh, the, so um, when I walked on, no. The, the, the dream was always to go to the NFL. You know, that's um, you know that, that's every kid's dream who plays football at a young age. You know, uh, so my dream was always to go to the NFL. But when I walked on the Temple, I never really thought about you know uh, I never really thought about the NFL. When I when I first walked on those couple years, my my uh, mindset was to make the team and just to get on the field. You know. That's what that's what was in my that was that was my uh my mindset just to make the team get on the field and play football. I just really wanted to play football, so I never really thought about it. So there's a story out there where your mother had to take out a loan in order for you to get a meal plan at Temple. How uh-huh. real was the struggle during the early parts of your Temple University football career? Oh man, it it, it, it was it was crazy, you know. Uh, at times, I wanted to give up. Um, I didn't think that, you know, as far as from a football standpoint, you know, uh, at times I wanted to give up. It was, it was extremely hard, but I had great support, you know. Always had my father behind me. Always had my mother behind me. Always had support of other family members behind me. So, you know, they kept me strong, kept my, you know, kept me, kept me on a straight path and kept my kept me hair strong, and that's what, you know, allowed me to get through the process at Temple, the journey that I had at Temple, and be so uh, as successful as I am. We're talking to former Temple star Hassan Reddick. So, obviously, like we said before, people were talking about you uh, a lot. So, you went to the combine in Indy, you came back to the campus. Talk about the love that you're getting right now. Oh, man. So, I, I uh, I haven't been on campus yet. The most that I've done so far would go back and watch, uh, you know, been around the, the football facility and watch the younger guys uh, practice uh, or do a uh, 6 a.m. workout. That was, the, that was the most I've done. The reception that I got from my teammates, you know, they're all proud of me. Uh, I look at them like little brothers, um, and they all, they all glad that I'm doing my thing. The reception that I got from the new coaching staff, I was like, oh, man. The love is just crazy, you know. They, they 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 speak so highly of me as if they knew me for four years, you know. And, I, wow. and here I am, just meeting them. And 
and they, they give me anything, you know, anything I ask for, you know, they're letting me work out there. Uh, the position, the, the uh, linebacker and defensive line position coach, they opened up the doors to me and let me know, you know, hey, if you want to get in position work, I'll help you out. Even Coach Collins, you know, he's a he was a defensive coordinator. Him himself, he like, man, if you ever need anything, you want to go over some board work, go through drills on the field, I'll be the one. I'll, you know, I'll help you out. I can do this. I can do these things to help you out. So, it, it's the love. The love is is, is unreal there, man, and it's genuine. You can tell that it's real love. And I look at Temple University over the past few years, Matt Rule and what he's done there. You know, building that program up and making that program a very good program. A lot of people didn't think Temple could get to the level that it is right now. I mean, talk mm-hmm. about this class, this particular class, you know, Philip Walker, you know, Jihad Thomas, yourself. You guys helped build this program and put this program in position that it is now. Mm-hmm. Talk about what you guys did at Temple. Oh, man, the hard work, endless hours of hard work, like countless hours of hard work. Um, the coaching staff they came in with a plan. Uh, we they, they 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 gave us the plan and, uh, and we fulfilled. You know we executed the vision. Uh, great coaching staff. They you know the the way they developed us as players as men is what I say is, is what's the key to success. Not only did we develop as players, but the way we the way they helped us mature and say you know young men. Uh, the way they they helped change the mindset of certain players, the way they brought out the leadership capabilities of, of, of certain players, especially the ones in my class, it, it was crazy, and that was the recipe for success. For sure, for sure. I mean, as a Temple alum, man, I mean, it was good to see Temple football finally, you know, make some headway. And I know it made some headway before you got there, but you guys have really put the program, I think, kind of on the map on some level. Do you feel like this program is still going to continue to grow? Oh man, I believe the program is in excellent hands. Uh, after going back, after coming back from combine and, and going to to the workout at 6 a.m. in the morning, seeing how hard the new coaching staff uh, had the players working, you know, it, it, it reminded me of when I was a young guy and Coach Rule and and, uh, and his coaching staff had just got there and how hard we were. And I, I'm sitting here thinking, yeah, uh, the, the reins have definitely been passed over to a, a, a great group of guys. So. You are from the Jersey area. Were you an Eagles fan growing up? Uh, growing up, I was an Eagles fan, man. Back when he had Deuce Staley, uh, I, I was an Eagles fan, you know. Uh, Deuce ended up getting traded to the Steelers. I had I had went there, but always, uh, you know, somewhat, somewhat had love for Philly, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles, you know, especially when Brian Westbrook came and just the way he played the game. You know, having McNabb and, and, um, at quarterback there, you know, that was a special time. We're talking to Temple Sasan Reddick. So, end of the day, why should any team draft Hassan Reddick? Because I'm going to be the hardest working player and day in and day out, you know. And, and I truly believe that. I know, I know that's what's going to happen. Um, hard work is what got me to this point. And for me, the journey isn't, isn't over, you know. I, there's no time for me to relax. I'm still going hard every day. To, to get what I want, um, you know, I'm not just trying to play in a, you know in the NFL. I, I want to be successful in the NFL as well. I want to be the best that there is, you know. Um, so, so this, so I'm going to continue to work hard, and and that's what I hope that every team, with any team, you know, I, I hope every team knows that, and any team that, and whatever team picks me up, I hope that you know that they that they know that they're going to get a good pick, and some 
somebody who's looking to, uh, you know, help the help the program out there. Now, do you expect do you expect to be at the draft? Do you expect to watch the draft elsewhere? What are your draft plans at this point? Uh, right now, my draft plans are up in the air. You know, I, okay. I'm pretty much waiting to see what happens. If I, you know, if I get invited to the draft, then I, I'll definitely be there. You know, that's that's something special. Um, you know, something is like putting a cherry you know, on top to a, a you know a ice cream sundae for this for the, this senior season and what I went through for this uh I would say this postseason you know to be invited to the draft and go there and possibly hear my name called in the first round that, that would be beautiful for sure so fans follow this man follow his journey on Twitter at Hassan Seven Reddit same thing on Snapchat and Instagram at Hassan Seven Reddit and support all the great things going on with former Temple standout Hassan Reddick. Hassan, pleasure talking to you, man. Wish you nothing yeah, but the best of luck to you. forward. Love to do it again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Much love, man. Really appreciate you having me on. For sure. Take care. You too. Hassan Reddick, former Temple Stand out, did some big time things at the uh, combine, and again, because of the big time things that he did at the combine, there's a possibility that hey, he go in the top ten, and that's huge. I mean, if you think about his journey, if you think about a guy who went from a walk on at Temple University to a guy now who has an opportunity to go into the top, go in the top ten of the NFL draft, in the NFL draft. That's huge, man. That's big. That's a big-time come-up. And, you know, he's a Temple grad, a Temple guy. I'm a Temple grad, you know, so I'm rooting for the man. So we'll see what happens with Hassan Reddick moving forward. Pleasure talking to him. Big news out of the NFL. The New England Patriots. (laughs) The New England Patriots. The team that found a way to win Super Bowl 51, you know, came back from, what, 25 points down to to win Super Bowl 51. Uh, A team that has the great Tom Brady to go along with the great Bill Belichick. A team that (laughs) just been just success year after year after year. A team that already acquired Martellus Bennett. Um, excuse me. Martellus Bennett actually went to the Packers. But a team that brought in Dwayne Allen. A team that, you know, <laughs> brought in a, a Gilmore from the Bills. I mean, a team that just is rich, just got richer. They acquired Brandon Cooks for a first and a third round pick in the upcoming NFL draft. The Patriots will also receive the Saints' fourth round pick. Ow! You're talking about a Brandon Cooks who had a monster year for the New Orleans Saints. You're talking about a Brandon Cooks who's only 23 years old. Young! You're talking about a Brandon Cooks 
who's first the last two seasons. 100, what, 84 catches, over 1,000 yards, nine touchdowns. Last year, 78 catches, over 1,000 yards, eight touchdowns. So he's going from Drew Brees, who's big time, you know, Hall of Fame caliber quarterback, to Tom Brady, who might be the greatest of all time. It's a great time. It's a good time. It's an amazing time to be a fan of New England Patriots. I mean, come on. To be a fan of the New England Patriots. It's a great time to be that. And if I was a fan of the New England Patriots, I'd be dancing in the streets. I mean, it's, a, it's no, I, I'm already dancing in the streets now. You know, I, I'm already laughing and, 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 and jumping around and, uh, you know, having a good old time because of what my team already did. And now, and, and meaning what they already did in terms of winning a Super Bowl. And now, you know, first off, I was excited because, you know, I get a, I get a corner in Gilmore. So to help my defense, I get a corner. I'm excited about that. So there's a lot of excitement in New England. Wow. Wayne Allen. Brandon Cooks. Gilmore. I mean, this this is upgrade after upgrade after upgrade. Wow. The rich just got richer. And, you know, Obviously, New Orleans, for whatever reason, wanted Brandon Cooks out of town. For whatever reason. But whatever Brandon Cooks may or might be doing, he's going to New England. And when you go to the Patriots, you do things the Patriots way. And when you do things the Patriots way, usually, you know, guys tend to, to, to you know, they, they, they tend to, do it the Patriot way. They, they don't really go outside of that box because the reality is if you do go all that outside that box, you're usually kicked out of the box. You know, you're usually gone. But obviously, it's a great time to be a Patriots fan. And, you know, just the improbable Super Bowl just should never have happened. Shout out to Kyle Shanahan for, for, for making that happen for the New England Patriots. Shout out to Kyle. Come on, Kyle. Come on. But, um, you know, you got that. But anyway, the Patriots, they, they, they did it, man. And they're doing it in this offseason at this point in time. And, you know, wow, big time. Brandon Cooks, 23-year-old, big time wide out. So we'll see what happens. You know, a lot of big moves. I mean, another big move that I think if you're a New York Giants fan, if you're a fan of the New York football Giants, you should be excited right now. Uh, Another big move was your move, your decision, your opportunity, your chance. You know, the Giants signed Brandon Marshall. And, you know, you already got Sterling Shepard. You already got Odell Beckham Jr. Now you're bringing a guy in Brandon Marshall who – it still can play and still a big time wideout. And a guy 
and Brandon Marshall, who, you know, two seasons ago put up some huge numbers for the New York Jets. When 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 Fitzpatrick was rolling, when Ryan Fitzpatrick had that huge year for the Jets, Brandon Marshall had a huge year, big-time year, man. I mean, two years ago, this dude put up some serious numbers, 109 catches, 1,502 yards, 14 touchdowns. Obviously, the numbers dwindled because the quarterback play wasn't the same, whether it's Petty, whether it's Geno Smith, whether it's, uh, you know, whether it's um, Fitzpatrick. You know, there's a bunch of different quarterbacks there in New York, and a lot of those guys didn't perform. But, but, you look at Marshall when he's had a formidable quarterback and a big-time quarterback, he puts up big-time numbers. That solidifies, you know, that, that, that that's a beautiful compliment to Odell Beckham Jr. Obviously, you got to figure out the situation with the balls. You know, a lot of those guys, they want balls. They want balls thrown their way. But, you know, I heard this pointed out, and I think it's true. You know, Brandon Marshall wasn't always the the pillar of, you know, uh, wasn't always a guy who conducted himself in, in a proper manner. You know, but he was a guy who matured, who grew. Um, ultimately, a guy also who, you know, discovered that he had some issues, some mental issues that he needed to work through and, and that he's working through. And, and so he worked through all that. And, and now, you know, he's changed and he's become a more mature guy. Odell Beckham Jr. is a guy who needs to work on his maturity. But if I look at Odell Beckham Jr., I think he's a guy that likes to play on the edge. And I think he's a guy who's effective on the edge, meaning he has to be a, he's a guy that has to be highly emotional to be effective. I think he's a guy that has to be out there dancing and prancing to be effective. He's a guy that has to be showy to be effective. I think that's who he is. But he has to find a way to, to figure that whole thing out, finesse it a little bit. And maybe, just maybe, Brandon Marshall could be the guy that helps him out with that. The second hour of Go For it starts right now. to be joined by former Villanova defensive end, Tano Passigno. And Tano Passigno had a big-time combine performance. And a guy, a small school guy, but a guy now that's, you know, again, putting his name in people's mouths. And people were talking about this guy. And he's a guy, like myself, who attended Wissake in high school. He's a guy, like myself, who grew up in Ambler, Pennsylvania. So we got a lot in common. We got something in common. So, you know, it's going to be a pleasure talking to him. He's going to be joining us in a couple moments. We also look at some other deals out there. Terrell Pryor, one-year deal with the Washington Redskins. Redskins losing a Pierre Garçon. You're losing a Deshaun Jackson. But now they got uh, you know a wide receiver with Terrell Pryor, and Terrell Pryor 
put up some big time numbers last year in Cleveland, and he put up those big time numbers with not the best quarterback play, whether it's RG3, whether it's Cody Kessler, whether it's McCown. You know, it wasn't the who's who's in NFL quarterbacks, and he still found a way to finish the season over a thousand yards. So he still found a way to put up big time numbers and still found a way to have a big time gear. He did that. He had a big time year. He had a big time situation. He put up big time numbers. And so, you know, the reality is, the reality is, this guy, um, you know, he, Terrell Pryor, one year deal, an opportunity for him now to, okay, I made the transition from quarterback to wide receiver. You know, this is not a fluke. I'm legit. But you know what? One year, $8 million, I'll show you. You know, I can I can show you better than I can tell you what I can do. So we'll see if he can do that. And he has an opportunity with Washington, an opportunity with um, uh, Kirk Cousins and the Washington Redskins. So we'll see what he can do. We can, we'll see exactly what he can do. So we're going to bring in a guy now, again, NFL Combine came and went. And this guy, you know, this guy had a big-time combine. This guy put up some huge combine numbers. This guy, again, got people talking about him. And that's a good thing. Let's bring him in now. We're going to bring him in now. A guy, you know, Wissahickon grad like myself, Ambler native like myself. So it's a great time to be this guy. Heck, he's from Ambler. So it's always a good time to be this guy. We're about to bring in a guy now. He had a big time combine. Everybody's talking about his combine performance, talking about his 40 time, talking about his broad jump and talking about all the great things that he did out there in Indy. Let's bring him in now. Former Villanova defensive end, Tano Passing Yo. How are you? Hey, how you doing, Mr. Gant? Doing well. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, no problem. So let me ask you this. You ran a 4-8-3-40, which is big time for a man of your size. Talk about your reaction after that run. Uh, I mean, honestly, I think I could run faster than that. Uh, I mean, I was happy with that time, but, yeah, I think I could run faster than that. You said you ran some uh, lower times, some faster times in practice, but what was the fastest time you ran the 40 during your practice time? Uh, probably, like, low 4.7s. Okay. All right. So maybe during your pro day you can get that. Yeah, I'm not- Kind of what I'm waiting on a pro day, get a little stronger, get a little faster, and just show them what I can really do. So obviously, after this combine, a lot of people were talking about you. Your name is in the mouth of a lot of people. What was your mindset going into the combine? Uh, kind of that I belonged because um, after the Senior Bowl, um, I really uh, just kind of saw how much I really do belong. Um, the competition, uh, it was definitely a little higher, but uh, I feel like I uh, stepped up to it and I was just ready for it, ready to come because we've been training for a couple months and, you know, you get kind of 
antsy and itchy just uh, for the moment to finally come. So obviously for you, big time 40, when the combine was all said and done, did you say to yourself, man, I just did my thing? Yeah, yeah, because, uh, you know, like the whole week's just a long, long grind. You're, you're trying to uh, you get there, do all your medical exams, have all your meetings. Uh, they they kind of try and exhaust you to kind of prepare you for what the season's going to be because it's a long season. And then uh, the last the last two days, people see all the fun. But uh, before that, there's a lot that goes into it. We're talking to former Villanova defensive end, Tano Passanio. And Tano, obviously, like you said, we see all the glamour with, with, with the runs, the broad jumps, and all the drills. But the behind-the-scenes stuff is difficult, it's tough, and it can overwhelm someone. How do you avoid getting overwhelmed? Um, I mean, uh, I, I feel like I'm kind of used to doing a lot of things at once, um, just keeping your head straight, knowing, knowing what... Uh, you're really there for it's an interview the whole process so you're kind of uh at your best the whole time um that's kind of really what makes it exhausting just uh always knowing that you're you're kind of you're not being washed but you're being evaluated so uh you kind of want to do everything well and just uh show that you really want to be there so how many teams did you meet with uh i met with a lot of teams actually um but um I think uh, I think uh, everybody kind of met with a lot of teams. Um, I think I had like nine, uh, what um, formal meetings, and then I mean, I couldn't even tell you how many informal meetings. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So obviously during this process, you get asked a lot of questions. What was the strangest question that you were asked? Uh, strangest question. I guess uh, I'm trying to think what the strangest question was. There weren't too many strange, strange questions. Um, I guess uh, hmm. it was mostly about football. I'm trying to think. Okay. Uh, they mostly, they really just asked me where I kind of saw myself in the NFL. And uh, I guess one, one question I got asked to say the ABCs with uh, – <laughs> Numbers beside numbers beside every letter, so that was a little difficult. Wow, I don't know yeah, if I can do that. Yeah, go like A one, B two, C okay. three. Okay. Was, yeah, it okay. was a little difficult, but it was, it was something funny. <laughs> so uh, let me ask you this now: Your performance at Villanova was big time. Eleven and a half sacks, you know, twenty one tackles for loss. So obviously, you got noticed there. But your senior bowl performance really got you noticed. Going up against that D1 talent, did that put a little chip on your shoulder? Uh, yeah, there's definitely always a little chip on our shoulder. Uh, I think just playing at Nova helped me develop that too. We, um, you know, we don't always get the most fans, and we're really known as a basketball school. But uh, uh, like playing at Nova, like our home games, we we uh, we always have that speech knowing uh, going into the game we're not going to have a lot of people there. Or it's usually just our family out there. And uh, we really play play the game because we love it and we love each other. So uh, I've always kind of had that chip on our, my shoulder. We're talking to former Villanova defensive end, Tano Passanio. And obviously, you know, you're a very smart guy. You know, you, you got your degree. 
and, and finance and accounting as well. And you didn't necessarily go to Villanova to play football. You went to Villanova for the academics. Talk about that. Uh, well, yeah, the academics are definitely a big part of it. Uh, my mom's really high on academics. She's always uh, uh, kind of uh, enforced uh, or kind of just uh, showed me the importance of education, how it can take you uh, really far because it's taken her really far. She's worked really hard to uh, kind of put me or give me the opportunities I've had. So uh, I, I really saw the importance of education. And Villanova was just kind of that perfect match of education and great football. Coming out of high school, I mean, you obviously ultimately went to Villanova because of the academics, as we said. But coming out of high school, you know, you weren't highly recruited. But when did you realize at Villanova that you possibly could make it to the NFL? When did you realize that that could happen for you? Um, I guess that, that moment kind of, probably fell my sophomore maybe junior year there um you know the coaches always believed in me the coaches always said uh said you know um that I had a bright future in it but it's different when your players start saying that like your teammates and I had some of the older guys kind of put that in my head uh and they were they were going pretty far places with it too and just uh just hearing it from my teammates really kind of uh solidified it um and then I mean, the rest is history, I guess. For sure, for sure. So uh, let me ask you this now. Uh, You know, I'm looking around, and and it seems to be the big question with you is whether or not you love the game of football. Tell the world that you love the game of football. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know why that's a question. I feel like it's kind of proved I love football. You know, um, it's a crazy sport to play. there's, uh, you know, there's a risk, there's a high risk of getting injured. Um, there's just so many factors that go into telling you why you shouldn't be playing football. And uh, I'm still playing football. And, uh, and I mean, it's really like one of the first things I did for myself. That, uh, as we like said her- earlier, my mom really pushed education. So uh, actually when I first signed up for, uh, to play football, my mom was uh, against it. So um, the only way I could play was if I uh, if I kept my grades up, that was our agreement, and um, I kept my grades up just to be able to play this game. And uh, kind of my hard work is kind of uh, shown, and my mom kind of sees how much work I put into it, and appreciates the sport a lot more. And uh, I mean, that's really cool. So mom's not against it anymore. Uh, no. <laughs> so. Obviously, after, you know, your big-time performance at the Combine, a lot of people are talking. And, you know, some reports are saying that you possibly could go in the second round. Based off the feedback that you're getting, is the second round possible for you? Yeah, I mean, I'm getting a lot of positive feedback. So, um, I mean, uh, just hearing the sky's the limit, so... Hopefully, maybe after these pro days, after a couple team visits, I could even bump that up to the first round. For sure. For sure. We're talking to the former Villanova defensive end, Tano Passanio. So, pro day coming up. How do you prepare for your pro day? Um, well, I got a week left at, uh, here in Florida uh, with Bomberitos, but then I'll be going back to Nova to uh, work out. Um, I live pretty close, so. 
it'll be easy for me to kind of work out there and really just uh, have that time on my own to really grind. For sure, for sure. So let me, I always like to ask this. The day in the life of an NFL draft eligible, take us through it. What's it like for you? What's a day in the life for Tano passing young? Um, I mean, like, uh, training-wise or? Training-wise, yes. Well, everything. Normal day? Yes. I mean, uh, wake up uh, pretty early around 6 um, to go to the training facility, drink a breakfast shake, uh, usually uh, do some medical stuff, uh, some stretching, uh, things like that, maybe a little massage. Uh, and then uh, kind of get to work, start uh, doing some sprint drills, lift, lifting if we have lifting that day, and then uh, really just like the little things I could work on, maybe some D-line technique stuff. Um, it's a, it's, it's kind of like just a process. You don't want to do too much in one day, but uh, you also don't want to lose a day. So you try to take advantage of all the time you have and uh, kind of just get right. Some people have called you raw. Obviously, you're a freak. You're a freak athlete, 6'7", 280-plus pounds. You can do a lot of different things. But some have called you raw. But at the end of the day, do you feel like you can contribute right away in the NFL? Yeah, I feel like I can. I mean, um, I have the size for it already. That's the thing. Uh, and I've just been working on my technique a lot more. So uh, I feel like once I touch the field uh, come camp, I'll be a, a different player already and then, just being around that high competition. Um, I learned fast, so uh, I feel like I'll be able to grow into um, a playable player really quick. So where do you want to be weight-wise come, you know, when you get drafted and ultimately when you head to training camp in the National Football League? Where do you want to be weight-wise? Uh, probably the same weight. and I mean, I feel comfortable at this weight. Um, okay. If I need to gain weight, I will. But uh, I've uh, I've kind of just been a game weight uh, pretty progressive. Okay. All right. So, so I've never really felt heavy. Okay. We're talking to former Villanova defensive end Tano Passanio. End of the day, why should any team draft Tano Passanio? Well, just uh, first off, you know, um, I really think I'm a competitor. Competitor. I know I'm a, a lot of guys say that. I think I do. Uh, if it's the classroom, if it's football, if it's uh, just even just video games, I, I, I like to compete. But, uh, I, I mean, I just love football. And then whatever team I join, you know, I'll just bring that positive attitude. That's kind of a big thing we harped on at Nova, just uh, uh, appreciating what you have and what you've kind of been blessed with and uh, taking it out there every day to make the world a better place. So you grew up in Ampler, Pennsylvania, just like myself? Yep. Are you a Eagles fan? <laughs> yeah, of course. Actually, uh, when I started playing football, that's when uh, T.O. and McNabb were real big. Okay. That's pretty cool. So what would it mean if the Eagles would call your name? What would that mean to you? <laughs> uh, I mean, that'd mean a lot, you know, just uh, being being around home. That'd be really cool to play for our hometown team and just uh, all the love from the city I already have. Uh, I mean, just multiply, so that'd be sick. So before we get out of here, obviously a lot of people are talking about you. Your name is, is out there right now. Has things changed 
in, in your life? How much has life changed for you since the NFL Combine, if any? Um, I mean, just now, I guess my name's just out there more. So, uh, get hit up by some old friends or, you know, just people I haven't really talked to in a while, which is cool because uh, that just means uh, as I'm getting more popular, but uh, nothing really has changed. I'm still just working hard uh, at the sport. And, I mean, it's just fun now that uh, I'll be able to actually get to do it for a living, probably just never work a day in uh, my life or work a, work for the next couple of years, hopefully, because I'll be having so much fun. For sure. So did you have a lot of Wissick congrats trying to hit you up? Uh, yeah, I mean, but all my boys back home are uh, real happy for me, so it's awesome. That's cool, man. Wissick is a great school. Amble's a great area. Yeah. And hopefully, man, maybe the Eagles, maybe someone else. But hopefully, can't wait to see you on Sundays. So, fans, make sure you support this man's journey. He's doing some big-time things. And we're going to see him on Sundays. And we're going to see him. I I think he's going to be drafted at least in the second round. So, we shall see. So, Tano, absolute pleasure talking to you. Wish you nothing but the best of luck moving forward. Would love to do it again. All right, thank you. Tano Passigno doing big time things at the combine, you know, making a lot of moves at the combine. A lot of people are talking about him. It was a pleasure talking to him. We wish him nothing but the best of luck. Hey, he's an Ambler. He's from Ambler. He grew up in Ambler. He went to Wisconsin High School, like myself. Therefore, I'm most definitely rooting for him. And I'm most definitely going to support his journey. Pleasure talking to him. We're going to bring in a guy now, Marlon Briscoe. You know, Marlon Briscoe, if you haven't heard the name, Google him. Because he's a guy, you know, who a, a trailblazer. There's no Warren Moon without Marlon Briscoe. There's no Doug Williams without Marlon Briscoe. There's no Randall Cunningham without Marlon Briscoe. There's no RG3 without Marlon Briscoe. Russell Wilson without Marlon Briscoe. Cam Newton without Marlon Briscoe. You get the point. This guy's a trailblazer. This guy fought long and hard just to be recognized and given an opportunity to be a quarterback in the National Football League. Let's bring him in now. The first African-American starting quarterback in modern pro football history. The one, the only, Marlon Briscoe. Marlon, how are you? I'm doing fine, Paul. Can you help me with my golf game, though? <laughs> um, maybe. <laughs> I'm a little bit better than Charles Barkley, so I think I'll, uh, I'll be okay. That's good. That's <laughs> very good. But I, but I don't know if that's saying much. Yeah, well, we'll see. So, Marlon, as I said, man, you are the first African-American starting quarterback in the modern history of pro football. That's big time. When you hear that, what goes through your mind? Well, you know, it was such a a great moment, not only in sports, but uh, for the world uh, altogether. Uh, I should not have been the first black starting quarterback. There were other guys 
uh, that could have carried that mantle. Uh, you're talking about Jimmy Ray, Wilburn Hollis, Sandy Stevens, uh, Willie Thrower, who actually was the first black to uh, play the position uh, at the pro level. And, you know, it, it, it had a lot of uh, history to it. I used to tell people that, uh, interviewers, that before there could be a black president, there had to be a black quarterback. Before a black quarterback, there had to be Jackie Robinson. That was the pecking order of things. And the way those positions were uh, filled in the American fabric. And to, to, to prove that a black man could think, throw, and lead on that level, it had epic proportions, for sure. No doubt about it. And looking back on it, I mean, in order for you to be a quarterback with the Broncos back in 1968, as you were drafted by the Broncos in the 14th round, you had to insist on a tryout at the quarterback position. Take us through that. Well, you know, basically back in those days, the first thing they would do with a, a collegiate African-American quarterback was to deem him an athlete. So that would give them the excuse to put him at a different position. And, you know, I had made All-American in college and played three years of college basketball, and that could have been my undoing because now it showed that I was athletic. Uh, along with those other guys that uh, were deemed athletic and, and had to switch positions. And so I felt that because of the, my accomplishments in college that, you know, I, I, I at least get a look at, at quarterback. I had made All-American. Uh, we won games. And um, I, I just felt that I needed a form, a platform, to show, you know, that I could play that position. They drafted me in the 14th round as a defensive back, and I decided that, uh, well, my college coach, who had entrees to the NFL and knowledge about their inner workings, and he told me that Denver was one of the only teams in the NFL that held their summer practices uh, in Denver before the media and the fans. So, I negotiated my own contract, and I said in that contract, uh, I wanted a three-day trial at quarterback, and I would play defensive back. Uh, well, they, you know, they hemmed and hawed, and they really didn't want to give me the opportunity, but I was pretty much adamant about it. And they, they pretty much thought I was crazy. How is a 14th-round draft choice when there's only 17 rounds going to dictate the conditions of his contract? But they wanted me uh, at that position, so they acquiesced to my so-called contract demands, and I got that three-day trial. I knew it wasn't going to be a level playing field, and it certainly proved that to be true when I I got to that three-day trial, but, you know, I had a game plan as well. And ultimately, because of your game plan, and ultimately, you know, you were able to eventually get in in 1968. You came in as a rookie. Ultimately, you threw 14 touchdowns, threw for over 1,800 yards, and you played some big-time football. But in 1969, things were a little different for you, 
and you didn't get that opportunity at the quarterback position. Talk about that. Well, you know, I, you know, I had a, 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 a lot of success uh, in '68, uh, being that I did not have the cerebral part of the game because I didn't really play quarterback during the regular season. I mean, during the preseason. And actually, I was the Denver starting cornerback um, in that 68 season before I got hurt. Steve Kenzie, the starting quarterback, suffered a shoulder injury. And some of the other quarterbacks during that uh, three-day trial got an opportunity, and they failed. So the fans <laughs> start, and the media started writing about, well, what about the kid from Omaha? You know, why did you give him a chance? He was the best one in the camp. And uh, the quarterbacks that had given an opportunity during that three-day trial uh, did not produce uh, offensively. And uh, there was a lot of pressure to get somebody to play that position. Well, in Denver, when they cut you, they would take your stuff out of your locker. They wouldn't, <laughs> they wouldn't tell you that you were cut. And so I went to my locker, and there was a number 15 in my locker. So automatically, I thought I was cut. I turned around, and Lou Saban and Hunter Ennis, who was the uh, quarterback coach, they were standing behind me. They said, uh, my friend, that was Lou Saban's favorite, come on. Uh, you see that number 15 in your locker? I said, yes, sir. He said, well, that's your your jersey and you're now a quarterback. So I thought when they put the 15 in there, I knew they needed a quarterback and that um, baseball and uh, no results uh, leading it from the preseason into the first two games of the year. And so when, when he said that, you know, my leg healed, I, you know, quarterback's supposed to be calm, but I wasn't calm inside. I was bursting at the seams. And so they, you know, they gave me an opportunity. And, and so I went back home uh, to finish up my degree at, uh, at Omaha University. And during that time, uh, uh, my cousin called me and told me that, well, they were having quarterback meetings uh, during the offseason and didn't invite you. And I'm trying to figure out, well, why didn't they at least invite me? I didn't ask to be the starting quarterback. I didn't demand to be the starting quarterback. Uh, but I thought I deserved a chance to compete. That's all I wanted to do. But it was obvious that wasn't going to be the case. And so I came back uh, quietly unannounced and, and, and went to uh, the Bronco headquarters. I was staying outside, and they all came out of the meeting. They had just acquired Pete List from Canada. They all came out of the meeting quarterback meetings with and they couldn't even look me in the eye wow. and so uh, I knew that it was not going to be a, a competitive situation in my in my regard so you know I went to uh, the training camp and uh, so I was way down the way down the chart but they wouldn't even give me an opportunity to, to compete so I just uh, asked for my release uh, they gave well. They gave me my release with the condition that I wait four days before um, 
you know, they would release me. And I'm trying to figure out, well, why would you wait four days? Well, I had success against the Raiders, the Chargers, uh, Buffalo beat them twice or whatever. So I figured there would be some teams, in, uh, you know, in the league that would give me an opportunity. Obviously, that was not the case. So uh, I asked for my release four days later. They released me. But no teams would, uh, you know, give me a give me a, a, a look. So um, they finally released me. I went back to Omaha, and I decided I still belonged in the NFL. So I called around, called Canada. The BC Lions had drafted me as well uh, out of college, so I went up there for one day. No disrespect to Canadian football, but I, I just didn't. Canadian football, and I felt that my accomplishments warranted that I would get an opportunity to uh, play in the NFL. So I called around some teams uh, that I had had success with, including Buffalo, uh, also the Raiders. I almost beat the Raiders that year, and we, uh, ra uh, formed the coach of the Raiders, John Rouse, was now the coach of Buffalo. So they said that uh, we'll give you a look at wide receiver. We don't need help a quarterback. Well, they had drafted James Harris out of Grambling. And, um, you know, they had Jack Camp, Tom Flores, and, and those guys. And uh, so I knew that they weren't going to have two black quarterbacks, um, <laughs> you know, uh, on that team. So, you know, I, you know, I went ahead and, and, and uh, switched positions. Another <laughs> You know, I, I should have been a negotiator, an agent, because I negotiated another contract, and I said okay. in that contract that you could not, that Buffalo couldn't cut me until the last cut. Because, you know, it was halfway through the preseason. They asked me to switch to a position that I had never played in my entire life, not on the playgrounds, not in flag football. I was always a quarterback. So they, again, you know, honored my request. And, uh, you know, I, I, and I worked and worked and worked uh, every day, studied films of Paul Warfield, Lance Allworth, made the uh, transition, and, uh, again, didn't get, in, you know, didn't get into the last game. And I got in the last game, and Jack Kemp, who was my roommate on the road, he said, I'm coming to your room. We were behind in San Diego. It was the last exhibition game. So he just kept throwing me the ball, and I was making all these circus catches. And uh, uh, because I depended on my athleticism that I knew, I felt that I had. And uh, ended up with four catches more than the guys that started in in a matter of ten minutes. So wow. they couldn't cut me. <laughs> and that started, and so that kind of started the, you know, the process process uh, for me to put in the hard work and. Uh, also playing quarterback, I knew where I wanted my receivers. I knew what I wanted them to do as a quarterback. So it was easy for me from that aspect. Uh, from the athletic aspect, I knew within my heart of hearts that, uh, you know, I had the athleticism to get it done, not being uh, braggadocious or anything like that. And uh, so, and, and that's how you know, that developed, and uh, ironically, it ended up, James Harris and I ended up roommates. Wow. And, I, and uh, 
So, you know, I told him a lot of the things that were going to happen to him. And certainly, you know, uh, those things uh, became a reality. Because uh, he had, you know, James is from Grambling. He didn't, with Eddie Robinson, he didn't have to go through all of that stuff. I came from a melting, uh, melting pot background growing up in Omaha, Nebraska, um, wherein most of the teams that, uh, from Pop Warner, where I started, all the way through college were basically white players. Okay. And so um, I had a different approach to circumstances in life and, um, you know, civil civil rights, uh, uh, growing up in, in the civil rights era. And so I had a different take on it than James did. But certainly that quarterback position, being black, certainly was the same. And so let me ask you this. I mean – after your time in Denver, you never played the quarterback position again. Looking back on it, is there any resentment towards Coach Lou Saban, who was the coach of the Broncos, when you were there? Well, you know, Lou, you know, at, at the time, I thought Lou was a racist for the way he treated me. And, ironically, he cut the first two black quarterbacks in the league. He cut James Harris <laughs> when he got to Buffalo. But okay. knowing, playing for Lou, he was a quirky kind of guy. And he did some things, not only he, uh, to uh, elite black players, but, but white players as well. So he, his personality uh, would make you, you know, scratch your head about some of the things that he would do. And you didn't know if it was racist or uh, his quirkiness in, in personality. And uh, Lou, uh, I, I've been asked that question now. You know, I'm 71 years old now, and I reflect on, you know, the things that happened back in 1968. Uh, and sometimes I, I, I wonder if it was racist, or if okay. it was uh, Lou Saban's DNA. And the fact that he cut two black quarterbacks back-to-back, um, you know, it was hard for me to, you know, kind of bunch that together to, to come out with a race car. So um, I don't know. You know, I, <laughs> I think about it sometimes, and, um, you know, he, he certainly – you know, was a different kind of guy, uh, without a doubt. You, you know, but believe me, I look back over now, back on it now. He really didn't have to do it, right? You know, what I mean, he could have. You know, what I mean, he could have been just staunchly opposed to even giving me the chance, and he did. And while I played, he backed me a hundred percent. While I played that year, it was after the aftermath of, of the season. Uh, that changed. So, you know, there's a lot of things going through my mind uh, when I think about Lou Saban and, um, you know, his personality wasn't racism. Uh, uh, you know, a lot of it probably was. But then some of it wasn't. I, I do believe in my heart of hearts today uh, that to be true. We're talking to the great 
Marlon Briscoe. Marlon, ultimately, like you said, you, you eventually switched to wide, re- wide receiver. You had success as a wide out. You know, you won a Super Bowl in Miami. You did some big things as a wide receiver. End of the day, were you a better quarterback or a better wide receiver? Oh, I was a better quarterback, without a doubt. <laughs> you know, I, I will always be the quarterback. Joe Namath calls me Mr. Quarterback. I was with uh, Peyton Manning uh, when I made College Hall of Fame uh, last year, and he called me Mr. Quarterback. They know. John Elway, he called me a quarterback. Okay. Anybody that I play with and against, uh, they call me a quarterback. It's just that I had the athletic ability, not being braggadocious again, uh, that I could play any position uh, that deemed necessary. You know, I went in as Denver starting cornerback, ended up to starting quarterback, ended up making all pro as a, a wide receiver. And a lot of people don't know I was the first black holder of extra points and field goals in the history oh, wow. of the NFL. Because they they thought black like quarterback, they, you know, they couldn't handle that position because that was pretty much never manned by a, a black person. And uh, you know, I'm proud. I'm as proud of that of that showing that a black man could catch the ball, spin it, put the laces toward the goal, and get it done. We have one black. Older in the NFL now. I don't think there's ever has been one started since I started. I think the kid played for Oakland. So you know there are a lot of positions that, particularly the the, the thinking positions, that black players weren't supposed to be intelligent enough to to uh, to play. And uh, you know I'm glad that. You know, I was ordained as a quarterback and as a black holder. And the fact that I was able to overcome, you know, a lot of obstacles. Definitely. Uh, Ironically, (laughs) at Buffalo, you know, I had made all pro, and I was playing out my option. And who gets the coach, head coaching job at Buffalo but Lou Saban? Now, <laughs> you know, now he's got to deal with me on a different level. I'm not a 14th round draft choice. I'm all pro and in the community and all that stuff. So now, uh, I've got to deal with him all together. Uh, he's got to deal with me differently. So it turns out that since I played out my option and and uh, Miami had lost to Dallas in the Super Bowl and they were looking for somebody opposite Paul Warfield. Although Buffalo and I, uh, Buffalo and Miami were in the same division, I always had my best games, uh, both as quarterback and receiver, against Miami. So they traded me for a number one draft choice. Uh, the Dolphins uh, traded me, I mean, Buffalo traded me for a number one draft choice with uh, Miami. So I went from a 14th round draft choice to a number one draft choice. So it was a heck of an odyssey, I got to tell you. Uh, uh, heck of a journey. And, uh, you know, I, but I, I talked to James Harris. I talked to Warren Moon. I talked to 
Doug Williams. I've talked to a lot of the black quarterbacks that uh, came after me, and uh, to a man, they said that if I had not succeeded in 68, James Harris would not have gotten drafted as a quarterback in 69. He would have gotten drafted as a, a tight end or, or, or linebacker or something like that. And um, so, you know, I'm glad that it was recognized that uh, maybe I set the table for the plethora of black quarterbacks that we have playing on the field today. And uh, I'm very much proud of that. So, so let me ask you this, uh, Marlon. I mean, your career ultimately ended. And in the 80s, you ran into some issues, had some drug issues. Ultimately, it led to your incarceration. But one thing that I found interesting about you is that you stopped or ended your drug habit without going through the 12 steps. How were you able to do it? Well, you know, I, I think about growing up, the way I grew up and, uh, you know, the things that I was able to experience, uh, you know, as a professional athlete, uh, you know, I, I think that through it all, I always knew that I would get out of it. And uh, based upon my gra- background and my DNA, uh, life DNA, that, uh, you know, I, w- I, w- I would be able to get out of the nadir of, of my life at that particular point. Um, I went back uh, to thinking about what, how I grew up and if the people were, and my mentors and all the people who um, backed me ever since I was a kid, um, my mom and my sister, you know, coaches, whatever, you know, teachers, uh, my kids, um, that that wasn't me. Um, there was a drug ep- epidemic in the 80s. I got caught up on, in it. See, anybody would, that knew me knew that, hey, that wasn't me. And, and as a matter of fact, nobody knew that more than myself. But I made those decisions uh, to hang out with the wrong people, to get be a part of the Hollywood crowd. And, uh, you know, I'm from Omaha. I wasn't really uh, somebody who knew that L.A. lifestyle. And, but I, I made those decisions, and I had to, to uh, accept the consequences. And uh, that's how, I, you know, I survived. The one thing I, I can say is that I at least did not succumb to desperation to support my habits. You know, right. I had my degree. I always had a uh, basically uh, uh, an avenue, a job, a career, or something like that. I just uh, did not have the, uh, the wherewithal because of the drugs to get out of the mire, so to speak. So, you know, and I spent 10 years, uh, you know, deeply entrenched in in drug use. But uh, basically, uh, the real, I think the the real uh, test and motivation to stop, I was uh, arrested in San Diego. And 
while I was in jail, Doug Williams was playing the Super Bowl uh, against Denver. And, you know, all, all the inmates and the guards, and they all knew me. I, you know, I was in there for a petty thing, but nevertheless, I was in jail. And so I saw Doug Williams and watched him win that Super Bowl. And in some measure, I felt that, you know, I had a hand in him being there. And, you know, I cried uh, to myself. Uh, and I vowed that after I left that jail, that that was it. You know, I was through with drugs. And certainly uh, I was still an addict because I was in there for just a period of maybe 30 or 60 days or something like that. Okay. And, uh so I still was an addict, but when I left that jail, I left all that stuff, all the drugs and everything else behind me. I went back to L.A. and got my life back, started to get my life back together, started teaching school, coaching, and, and that type of thing, and never looked back. So the fact that, uh, you know, I saw the development of the black quarterbacks after me, with Joe Williams, and a lot, certainly they had a lot of turmoil in, in, in their process as well. But uh, when I got out of the, the jail, I, I said that was it, and um, that was that was it. So we fast forward now. I mean, obviously, the things that you've been through, you know, a whole situation in Denver, you know, ultimately going to different stops around the league and ultimately winning Super Bowls and doing some big things, and even having a little setback with your incarceration and with your drug issues, that sounds like that would make a pretty good movie. And I know you guys have been trying to get your life on the big screen for a while now. I know the working title was The Magician. How close are you guys to making that happen? Well, right now, basically, uh, looking at uh, different directors, uh, they're looking at Angelo Pizzo, who did uh, Remember the Titans. Uh, no, I mean Hoosers and Broody. Uh, Greg Howard wrote the uh, uh, the script, and Greg wrote uh, Remember the Titans and uh, Ali. So basically, it's it's down comes down to uh, finding a director. Uh, they found a. a Terrific young actor named Lyric Bent played my part. Uh, I uh, talked to him and had lunch with him, and he's a terrific, well-known, I mean, well-informed uh, kid that uh, knows his due diligence, knows his, did his homework, did his due diligence in terms of uh, my life and uh, the life of African Americans, you know, in the 50s and 60s, which was all was all part of what I'm about and people who who grew up in my era, the music and the conditions and the racism and you know, all of the things that encompass growing up for black Americans in the fifties, sixties and the seventies and all the way into the eighties actually. So but uh it, it looks like it's coming to uh, fruition, uh, basically hiring the director, hopefully Mr. Pizzo uh, will work out a contract, and uh, that's where we are right now. 
All right, so so let me ask you this now. We talked about in terms of resentment towards Lou Saban, but as a whole, we know the NFL culture back then, the black quarterbacks really didn't get opportunities. Do you have any type of resentment towards the NFL as a whole? Well, uh, not really. Uh, as, as a whole, it's reality. You know, what was happening in this country wasn't a, a reality. And uh, it was part of the, the landscape of African-American life. Uh, growing up, you know, my parents and mentors and teachers, black, the black teachers, well, they didn't have black teachers back when I grew up. But they always would tell me as a kid, you had to be three times better than a white kid for any job. And I always wondered why it was three times better, why not as good, or not even why not twice as good. It was always three times. You had to be three times better in, in, in order to be a, at least competitive with a white for the same position. Right. And so that, that, math, that, that math was correct. So we all, in every walk of life, an African-American knew that we would not get a, a, a level playing field. And so that was just the way it was. And so we knew that going in, and so we were prepared uh, to fight those numbers. And basically, uh, as a professional athlete, it wasn't that long before the Jackie Robinson <laughs> color barrier. It wasn't that long before. And uh, a lot of the other things that were uh, denied for African Americans uh, and, and women and you know, uh, you know, all of the other strategists uh, denied capable uh, people of uh, uh, getting an opportunity to excel. It was, that was just the way it is. Right. Um, you're looking at it now. Um, I never thought of myself as a black quarterback, first of all. Never, ever did. And uh, when I went out on that field, I was a quarterback, just like I was in college where I had most of my players were white, just like I was, uh, you know, uh, high school and, and even at Denver. When I go back to the reunions, the 68 teams, our team, have more guys come to the reunion than any of the other uh, eras that play. And those guys... Uh, tell me to almost to a man that they could have won with me. Now, let, let's take in consideration my entire white, my entire line with Denver was white. And three quarters of them were from Mississippi, LSU, Alabama, and not only did they not play with black quarterbacks, they didn't play with black players until they got to the pros. And, and, they, and the first thing that they came out of their mouth is don't let them touch the magician. See, because, they, it, you know, it was thought that, you know, there would be a backlash not only from the fans but from the players and management. They thought the players, particularly white players, 
wouldn't play for a black quarterback. That did not that that we allayed those fears. We allayed those fears about manners because the first game I came in, the next the next game, there was thousands of more fans who were basically more white fans than black. They came to the game. You came to the game to see this little black kid run and throw the football. So, in fact, that, um, you know, I called my own plays. So it certainly, <laughs> it certainly had to be smart enough to call my own plays. Definitely. Because the blacks could not, weren't smart enough uh, to play that position. So there were a lot of, you know, naysayers that, um, got a rude awakening about uh, a black man playing that position. Now, although I didn't play it but that one year, and I still have the records, you know, stands there. I didn't even know I had a record. That, and uh, uh, I'm 18th in the history of the NFL for yards per completion. Still standing, yet I didn't get the opportunity um, to at least compete for the job in the next year. So the those are product, those are products of the times in which we live. Not necessarily just the black quarterback situation, but black existence overall. How much football do you watch today? I watch, uh, you know, important games, more more playoff games, and you know, of course, Super Bowl. Uh, I'm a basketball. I watch basketball and golf, okay, and more so than than, than football. But I, I like to see the involve the evolvement of the game. Uh, you know, the game meant a lot to me, and it provided a lot of things that uh, I needed for my family and myself and, uh, from a lot of different uh, perspectives. Um, so. You know, I don't get it. I don't, I'm not sitting at the in front of the TV every weekend to watch a game. I'd rather be out playing golf or something. But uh, I like to see uh, how the game is is uh, grown. Uh, certainly, we had a hand in that. Uh, the millions and millions of dollars that players uh, you know are making today, and the plethora of black quarterbacks in the league that. Uh, being uh, black quarterbacks, uh, they're, they're uh, quarterbacks. They make a mistake. Uh, they get chastised. They do well. They get lauded. So, and that's the way it should be. And uh-huh. so, uh, and but that was the mindset that I had uh, all my life because uh, I grew up, like I said, in a melting pot uh, environment and. Um, all the way through the Pop Warner League to the pros where the majority of the players were white, and here I, I was a, a quarterback. I didn't go to – and and the majority of the uh, other black quarterbacks that came up through the ran, uh, ranks uh, came from traditionally black colleges. So, you know, they had another other fish to fry than, than what I did. Uh, but it was, uh, you know, it was very uh, enlightening uh, times, and uh, uh, I, I'm just glad that uh, I was ordained to be the one that 
prove that a black man could play that position. And I think that uh, it was a stepping stone uh, to not only the black quarterbacks, but to uh, the awareness of uh, what a black person can do if given the opportunity. Definitely. So for fans, make sure you go to the website, MarlonBriscoeMovie.com. That's MarlonBriscoeMovie.com. There you can find information about this movie. It's going to come at some point. The Magician is going to come. So again, go to MarlonBriscoeMovie.com and support all the great things going on with the great Marlon Briscoe. Marlon, absolute pleasure talking to you, sir. Wish you nothing but the best of luck moving forward. We'd love to do it again. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Take care. Marlon Briscoe, pleasure talking to him. You can listen to this show. Before we get to that, I want to thank Hassan Reddick. I want to thank Tano Passigno. I also want to thank uh, Dakota Austin. And, of course, I want to thank Marlon Briscoe. You can listen to this show and other great shows, blogtalkradio.com slash pgan, where you can listen to this show and other great shows. Follow us on Twitter at go for again. Also, hit us up on the website, goforagainsports.com, and support all the great things going on with Paul Gant. For everybody here, go for it. We hope you have a great weekend. See you later. Take care. Bye. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.